But would you address the administrators who are listening to this video about letting someone with doctorate background in because we can help with the overload of of the kiddos? You know, in, in working with administration in public schools before, one of the things that I know is big on their their you know and their importance list is their budget. I get that. That's right. What they don't understand is. You know, since we're talking about money, I, I, let me use that because I think that's one of the biggest crux I, I see is that they, if they address something, they feel like that now they're financially responsible for for it. So, let me just say this: that's right. I know, that's right. I know that um, they've got to look at this from a business standpoint, right? You've got to look at ROI, return on investment. Mm-hmm. I will tell you if they will if they will shift the tides and start addressing dyslexia better, that the return on their investment will be huge, huge. So it's one of those things that I understand money is a big deal for them. So let's talk about that. If they will put more money in addressing dyslexia, everything will go up. Their academics will go up. Their standardized testing will go up. Everything will go up. So if they want to return on their investment and they want a school district that's actually going to start soaring, let's address dyslexia. Let's address it in a healthy way. Let's not let's not waste our time on frivolous things that aren't going to be doing what we need to be doing. They need to be a, a strong, you know, evidence-based approach to um, dyslexia, and they don't need to be jumping on, you know, this bandwagon or that bandwagon as much as something that is actually proven to be be resourceful and helpful, but I will tell you, if they will address it properly, they will have a huge return on investment. You know what? Hi, thanks for joining us for this episode of Dyslexia Solutions. I'm Dr. Marianne Cintron, and I have a very special guest today, Alan Wishard, who is a dyslexic genius. He's going to share his story with you about um, when he was in school, but we're going to address the mental health issues of dyslexic people, and he is a mental health counselor. So this is really appropriate for, for the time and season we're living in right now. We need to know how we can address mental health issues of all kiddos, but especially those who are dyslexic right now, because that's the platform of Dyslexia Solutions. So, Alan, come on to the stage. Welcome. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. <laughs> and we're going to um, let Alan introduce himself to you and share a little bit about his time in elementary school. My name is Alan Wishard. Um, I am a professional counselor here in Oklahoma, licensed in Oklahoma and a couple other states. I grew up in Texas and um, was treated for and diagnosed with dyslexia back in the 70s in public school there. And um, just it's kind of unique to see the difference in how um, this public schools in Texas and um, how they treated me and kind of kind of reached out to me in the 70s and how now public schools and my son um, and how in Edmond, Oklahoma, they reached out to him and how weird that is, but at the same time, eye-opening. But I will tell you, um, I'm I'm glad you have me on for the mental health part of it. I know that when it comes to dyslexia, um, all the camps that I've worked, all the um, clients that I have and have had, uh, mental health is one of the things that is 
not overlooked as much, but maybe brushed to the side because of the big, deep need academically um, to get the kiddos kind of, you know, where they need to be. So I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be able to address it and talk about this issue. Thank you. Uh, One of the first things we talked about was uh, we're very concerned about the dyslexic kids who are they have the anxiety, they have the self-esteem issues because they're feeling not as good as their peers. And we know that some of them are in gifted classes and some of them are in the special ed classes. Talk a little bit about that and address uh, the anxiety and, and the stress that they're feeling because we don't want them dropping out of high school, going into crime in prison. Right. So it, it's one of those things in, in, in growing up in Texas in the 70s and having that addressed, you know, I'll speak to it firsthand and then we can go into some clients that I've worked with. But, yeah, it's one of those things that I was um, a, an issue for our schools because I led my class in science and in math um, and was in gifted and talented for most of my um, most of my classes, but was in special ed for reading and for spelling. And so it was one of those things they didn't kind of know what to do with me when when I was in when I was in science and when I was in math, it seemed like there was nothing they couldn't give me that I couldn't tackle and, and comprehend and do real well in. But, you know, being in, you know, the last of the class when it came to reading, I remember SRA readers. I don't know if anyone. Yeah, they're very popular still. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And so I remember everybody just shooting past me, shooting past me and everybody getting to I think the highest color was purple at the time. And I was still stuck on that first or second tier, which I think was orange, if I remember. <laughs> and just remember thinking, you know, what is wrong? I don't I don't understand. Like in science, everybody, I was having to stop and let them catch up to me in math. Same thing. But man, in reading, it was just one of those things that I really struggled. And so to, to see um, what that what that was like to to struggle and feel like everybody else was leaving me behind. It is a big hit to the self-esteem. And one of the things that, that I see all the time, I remember at a camp we were helping run, there was a kiddo that um, was in the sixth grade and he was reading on the kindergarten level. And um, I remember kind of talking to this kiddo and where he was emotionally with his self-esteem. Um, I was able to give him an oral version of a whisk and he scored 176, which is two to three standard deviations above the mean and way above genius level. So he was probably one of the smartest people I've ever dealt with. But yet wow. he felt very low as far as his self-esteem. That's so awesome. I knew that that's where we really need to work with him on. And it was it was amazing because I think I shared with you earlier, if if we can get these kids self-esteems in place and kind of get them where they feel and see the value they have in themselves, then they're willing to put more into the academics. And that's one of the things that I really try to work with on my clients. That's really interesting. Um, it's like a direct correlation. Build yeah, the self-esteem, exactly. their attitude changes, they work harder because they have a hope. And that's yes. one of my first books, A Message of Hope. How, mm, you yeah. know, when you can instill hope in people. Um, okay, very exciting. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things with, with the self-esteem and things. It's one of those where, and, and this, this correlates, there was a psychologist I followed that said that um, we will only esteem ourselves as highly as we perceive the most important people to us value us. And so when you take that formula, if you will, and those kiddos get in school and all of a sudden now the shift isn't as much mom and dad as it used to be, you know, and now it's on peers. And so if you perceive that your peers think that you're not very smart, how are you going to feel? 
or you're going to feel like you're not very smart. And so it starts tanking the self-esteem. So yeah, we really, we really need to focus on that self-esteem because once they start valuing themselves, they're much more willing to invest in working harder to get caught up academically. So two things come to mind. When you mentioned you were a high school teacher, when we spoke previously, um, you had hands-on, the kinesthetic kind of artwork. Talk talk to the audience about um, architecture and woodcraft and so my background is in um, in um, construction. And so while I was getting my master's in counseling, I actually taught high school drafting architecture and woodshop and got to see some of the kids that um, that were struggling in academic classes thrive in um, the woodshop and, and thrive in architecture. Um, the, the visual concepts, dyslexics have a very good ability as far as visual concepts. And so there was a lot of times that I would take um, AP level um, calculus students and I would put um, a visual problem on the board. And um, one of the things I would do is I would I would draw a diagram of a table and give a list of materials. And I would only give one dimension on that table. And I would tell the class that they've got to now design a table using these materials and make it as big as they can with just that one measurement. And my dyslexic kids would hammer it every time and get it. Oh, I love it. I love it. But but these AP students in in calculus could not figure out how to get all the other dimensions based on the dimensions that were given. And it was because of that visual concept that dyslexic students could do very, very well. That's amazing. And that, you know, even architecture and engineering are areas that dyslexic children thrive, especially for that reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. I have a friend um, who dropped out of high school, but he went to Harvard and he talks about seeing things in 3D and he is an ice sculpture and he would look at a block of ice and see the picture, the image inside. And he would be able to just carve out, you know, uh, the eagle or whatever he was going to carve out of that. Um, cube of ice, which I think is so exciting to see, dyslexic people see things in, in 3D. Um, we do. And I was a general contractor for a long time in Colorado. I built log homes there for years. Oh. And it was always really cool to me to be able to, I'd go up on a piece of property that was blank and I'd have a set of blueprints on, you know, on me and I'd, and I'd open them up on the hood of my truck and I would literally be able to see that home on that piece of property. Yeah. And it was a very big blessing. Oh, that's amazing. That's really nice. Um, So is your passion to work with with children in general related to mental health based on the compassion for dyslexia? I I would say the biggest the biggest portion of my clientele is going to be from the ages of about 12 to about 28. Um, I do tend to gravitate more to the high school, middle school and early college years. Um, And, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of the kiddos that I do see um, have learning disabilities, dyslexia being one of them. I've got one that's um, dysgraphic, genius kid, genius kid, but, wow. but horrible as far as writing. Big struggle, big struggle. But yeah, and and the thing is, it's it's building their value in themselves. It's it's one of those things that, you know, I think that we are we are made to be productive, 
And I think that's one of the things that a lot of kids struggle with nowadays in this society is mm-hmm. they don't produce a lot. You know, back in the day when I was growing up, it was one of those things that we had, you know, 4-H, we had Boy Scouts, we had FFA, we had all these different things that we could we could pour mm-hmm. ourselves into. And then we could see some product that we made that we produced. And if it could be art, it could be music, it could be anything like that. Then it's one of those things that if if we can produce something, and we value it. And then we see that other people value it, that it also pulls value into and pours value into us. And so I try to do that a lot with my client base. I try to get them to um, get involved in things that they do um, find that they do have value in and they can produce things. I think that's very, very key as far as uh, self-esteem is productivity. Yes. And and having some role models that they can follow and, yes. you know, see who's who's working in a field that they're interested in. We have we've interviewed surgeons we who are dyslexic. I've interviewed um, a, a gentleman who worked on hot rods, you know, designer, you know, just sports cars, and whatever the interest is, whether they're in dancing or theater or in acting, all those are strengths for entrepreneurs. There are college paths they can take, but they need to get those accommodations so that they can have more time on their tests and. Um, you know, I have a whole other video that talks about that. I've got one client right now that I'm working with. He's older. He's an older gentleman and I'm not seeing him for um, anything related to dyslexia, but he is, he is clearly dyslexic. And, um, but he at one point was NASA, um, rocket scientist. So he actually engineered parts of the space shuttle. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, you had a lot of support from your mom. You said when you were young. Let our audience know about your how you were raised and the support, how why she was able to give you the support and about the you 200 know, children you lived with. It was so my mother and father were house parents at a, um, at the time, the, the nation's largest Christian children's home. So I grew up with 200 brothers and sisters. And so um, that didn't leave mom a lot of time. But she the time that she did spend with me was really rich in the sense that she saw that I was struggling um, and she addressed it in a really cool way. So I was I was always in into visualization and I, I doodled and drew all the time. And um, I loved my grandmother had bought me some comic books and I, I would just go through them almost every day. And my mom saw that I was interested in art. And so she came to me and she said, if you will try your best to read them and then come back to me and give me an oral interpretation of what's going on then I will give you, I will go buy you another comic book. So I would, she would buy me a comic book. I would try to read it. I would struggle, but based on the words I could get in the visual that I was looking at, I could piece it all together and I'd give her an oral report and she'd go buy me another comic book. So in a sense with that, I I taught myself a lot that the schools didn't in the holes that they were leaving. And um, I've also got quite a comic collection. I've got about 5,000 comics. Wow. Um, it, it today in today's day and age is actually fairly valuable. So, but thanks to mom, it was one of those things that she saw was interested in the visual, and she used that to um, to force me, not force me, but kind of get me into um, the written part of it as well. Now, and that's huge in our schools right now. They call them the graphic novels. Yes, huge. and they're cartoon novels. Yeah, very interesting. It was very. It was very. Uh, she was ahead of her time in that. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up because I know you have a schedule. What what also is passionate in your heart to share with our audience? You know, I, I would I would say that 
when, when you're when you've got a kiddo that's dyslexic and, and you see them struggling, you've got to understand that that academics are key. But you've got to you've got to see the wounds that the that, that's creating emotionally. You've got to be able to see that with your kiddos, and you've got to be able to pour into them. My goodness, you've got to be able to pour into them emotionally and and psychologically. Um, you, you can't you can't leave that on the back burner and not attend to it as you're focused on the academic portion of it. Um, our son was blessed in that. His mom um, really poured into him academically, and that allowed me to pour into him um, emotionally and psychologically. So we, we, you know, together we made a very well balanced, uh, very intelligent, very strong um, dyslexic young man that is just ready to take on the world, you know, and ready to kind of grab it by the tail. So as parents, I would just say make sure that um, you do everything you can to encourage them, to edify them to lift them up emotionally as well as academically and um, realize that there's a lot of struggle that they're struggling with on, on the emotional side of that. I mean, they're getting beat up daily and a lot of it's coming from external, but believe it or not, more of it's probably coming from internal. And so now, you've, got, you've got to change that narrative. You've got to change that narrative okay. in their mind. We had Alan's wife, Charmaine, on last week. So she shared the story about their son and he's how old now? 19? He's 19, about to be 20. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I do want to ask you a question because yes, as a doctorate of education, leadership and administration, I want to bring some extra support to the schools that I know they need because counselors are overloaded and psychologists are overloaded. And um, we had a little bit of conversation before the recording of how to approach the schools, but would you address the administrators who are listening to this video about letting someone with doctorate background in because we can help with the overload of, of the kiddos? You know, in, in working with administration in public schools before, one of the things that I know is big on their, their you know, and their importance list is their budget. I get that. That's right. What they don't understand is, you know, since we're talking about Money. I, I, let me use that because I think that's one of the biggest crux I, I see is that they, if they address something, they feel like that now they're financially responsible for for it. So let me just say this: that's right. I know, right. I know that um, they've got to look at this from a business standpoint, right? You've got to look at ROI, return on investment. Mm-hmm. I will tell you if they will, if they will shift the tides and start addressing dyslexia better that the return on their investment will be huge, huge. So it's one of those things that I understand money is a big deal for them. So let's talk about that. If they will put more money in addressing dyslexia, everything will go up. Their academics will go up. Their standardized testing will go up. Everything will go up. So if they want to return on their investment and they want a school district that's actually going to start soaring, let's address dyslexia. Let's address it in a healthy way. Let's not let's not waste our time on frivolous things that aren't going to be doing what we need to be doing. They need to be a, a strong, you know, evidence based approach to um, dyslexia, and they don't need to be jumping on, you know, this bandwagon or that bandwagon as much as something that is actually proven to be be resourceful and helpful. But I will tell you, if they will address it properly, they will have a huge return on investment. Huge. You know, one of the things that is a, a- hindrance with the schools when they want that evidence-based you know when I got my did my doctorate my my population was um after three years of intervention I did my doctorate 
And so yes. my control, my group of uh, students in the research were only 30. So 15 used music and 15 didn't. But by mm-hmm. using a multi-sensory reading approach, which follows the science of reading, everybody improved from uh, below basic level up to the 40 percentile. Those yes. with music went to the 65 percentile. So they're looking at, um, I think they're shy to go into a program like mine because I use music that helps retrain the brain. No one's using yeah. music. No one's collecting data on it. And they don't want to start because they don't want to start fresh with collecting data, which is frustrating to me. There's a lot of That's programs out there that are very expensive and um, they've got years and years of data. And so, but we need to do something we haven't tried before. We need to do something different that's affordable and easy to learn, easy easy to implement. So that's been my uh, challenge, but my passion, because I have something affordable and efficient. And people are paying thirty dollars to $40,000 a year, up to three years, to be trained how to work with dyslexic kids. And we're losing time. We're one step forward, two steps back. One step forward, we're just, we're losing ground. So I really want to encourage people to reach out to me. They've got to use that that multi-sensory approach. That's the only way that they're really going to be hitting off. Talk a little bit louder. You're kind of fading. I just said that, yeah, the multi-sensory is one of those things that they've got to use that approach. That that approach is is tried and true. It's I mean, Orton Gillingham was using it way back in the day. It's still being used today, and it is the best approach. And there's good programs out there. Yes. So, Alan, thank you. And uh, to yes, be ma'am. sensitive to our time, I'll let you. We need Alan has an appointment, <laughs> but we now, could we, possibly we have you back on for another interview. Say it yeah, again. Abs- please, yes, absolutely. We'd love to. I want to see some comments from our audience. I want to see some questions, and then yes. we could have Alan back if you want him to address some very specific questions. And um, please like if you haven't already and subscribe because that lets other people know that this is a good video. So thank you for tuning in. I'm Dr. Marianne Cintron. I want to wish you a very blessed day and let's help those dyslexic kids read. Dr. Marianne here. Thanks for listening to this YouTube in its entirety. I wonder, do you know that I have training videos uh, to teach Orton Gillingham and also uh, how to teach uh, my step-by-step reading with music? I have a free app. It's called CDSM, CDSM for Syntron Dyslexia Solutions with Music. I personally have recorded spelling exercises that play in the right ear and classical music that plays in the left ear for a very interesting way. We call it enhanced lateralization to help kids read. That can be used for a second language learners. It can be used for anybody that wants to improve their reading and spelling. But you can get the spelling list on Teachers Pay Teachers and look for Orton Gillingham, Dr. Marianne Sintron. Also, I have training videos to help you work with your client, your student, and those are for a, a purchase at a, excuse me, at a very affordable price. But you can find that information on my website, dyslexia-solutions.com. And we are looking for students to help. We're looking for sponsors to help pay for those students. So if you'd be interested, 
in having us help your child, reach out to me. And if you um, would like to make a donation, any amount would help, go to our website, uh, dyslexia-solutions.com. You can always Google Marianne Cintron, my YouTubes, and my information will pop up. I also have many books. I've authored seven books, three on the impact of music and how to help dyslexic people read. So hope you reach out to me. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this video. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.